Alex Kessler here with my co-host Marshall James. Hello. Uh, welcome, welcome to the cast. Uh, so often behind the camera, now camera's right on you and your Zardoz poster. Um, today, it's great. We are finishing our set review of Magic. 21 uh we've this is part three of that review um and uh excited to get into it you're gonna say about zardoz oh just that it's great if you haven't seen it it's uh beyond 1984 beyond 2001 beyond love beyond death it's sean connery in his first role after he stepped down for being james bond and he spends most of the movie in red briefs it's a very weird it's a very weird movie <laughs> actually oh, i yeah. recommend at a bare minimum go watching the trailer so uh we've started doing this I, I i like to just jump into the content because that way people jumping on the episode don't have to wait for it and then we'll get into all the shout outs and stuff later on uh and the first card we are going to talk about today is subira Tulzidi Caravanner, two in a red, legendary creature, human shaman, haste. You may pay one to have another target creature with power two or less, uh, make them unblockable. Uh, they cannot be blocked this turn. You may tap her, pay one in a red to discard your hand until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control with power two or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So she has 10 syllables in her card name, which might be a... Uh... A record for a magic card. <laughs> uh, and also just bad for me. It's very unkind. <laughs> but you, you got all the way through it without messing up, so I wanted to give you some applause. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, as far as this card's playable, I mean, the fact that it has haste is, I think, the reason I think it, it makes it playable. A three mana that does a bunch of this stuff is not necessarily something to talk towards, but the fact that she can um, kind of come into play, give another thing... Uh, unblockable and then swing on turn four to kind of do a mini Bloodbraid Elf, but instead of drawing a card, just getting damage in there. And then also can, on turn five, jump in, tap, and then draw you a bunch of cards as long as you have two drops, or uh, uh, creatures with power two or less that can do damage. Um, it's definitely a wide, go wide kind of strategy that would maybe play in the tokens. I don't think she's, I think she's just under the power level that I would consider to be super playable, but she does have enough unique words on her to do something yeah and she's she, yep she seems like something that might have a place as a couple of in a deck like prowess that has a lot of small power people that tends to burn out the cards in their hand because you know ideally you'd love to like uh swing in with a bunch of your little prowess nerds um and pour out your hands lightning bolting and whatnot and then be able to activate her to, you know, draw draw three cards or something like that. Um, and those could be the last three burn spells to finish the game out. Like, you could have, yeah, on turn five, get her in, draw cards, discarding a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, not even have cards in hand. She does enough things that she could make it make a, a swing, but it, it might be just, like, just too expensive in mana costs on different sides that it makes it not quite there. But I think she's close in an interesting way. Steve's Guild Enforcer. One in a black. Or no, sorry, just one black, one one. Flash, human rogue. When Thieves Guild Auk Enforcer or another rogue enters the battlefield until under your control, each opponent mills two cards. As long as your opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, Thieves Guild Enforcer is plus two plus one and has death touch. So they're a it's a three-two for one death touch flash that also does milling for your opponent. Now this is a card that 
this is this is the card I think I'm most sad that Ben is in on the podcast for because I think he would have a lot to say a here rogue about payoff, the yeah. Uh, it like makes rogues better. It makes Jace's phantasm better, which is another card Ben likes uh, unnecessarily. <laughs> um, it does like a lot of stuff that he would like. I, for me, it is. I, I've now had long conversations about how Wild Nacatl is a bad card with Michael, and this card is worse than Wild Nacatl. Yes. In a tribe that is worse than cats. So I yes. I don't know if I can get behind it. But in for Ben, you know For Ben, we had to talk about it. We have to talk about it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, so rogues aren't there, and this is not a card that puts them there. Mm-hmm. But eventually rogues will get there. I mean, the nice thing about an Eternal format, and I think the thing that attracts people to formats like Modern, is if there is a strategy, if you are Ben Bateman or a Ben Bateman-like person, and there is a strategy that is a pet strategy of yours that is not good enough, as long as Modern exists, they will keep printing cards into this niche strategy of yours, and eventually, on a long enough timeline, the Rogue deck will be good. (laughs) You know? A thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters will produce a top eight deck for rogues. So, so in the event that the eventual rogue deck comes around, Thieves Guild Enforcer will probably play a role in that deck. But that deck is not here yet. But keep holding on to your Thieves Guild Enforcers and your Una's Blackguards, and one of these days, Gentle Rogue, you'll have your deck. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's where I agree with you, right? This is a card. If Rogues is good, this is a card for that deck. This this deck, this deck, card will see play in that deck. Because it is good enough to be better than Wild Nacatl in the sense that if, like, Death Touch is better than than not having Death Touch and Flash is better than not being, Flash, not having Flash, right? And so you gain those two with the negative of having to, like, get its threshold requirement on lock. But I think that it does a lot of really cool things. Like, and, and it's just a, a it's a one drop, right? Like the fact that it costs only one mana is great for decks that want to curb, and it has all these other benefits, like being great late game as a blocker and being able to be held up so you can counter magic on turn two, but then play two of these or one of them. So there's definitely benefits to it. It's just it's 100% dependent on rogues being good or some type of familiar opponent and gain benefit from that tribal deck being good um and it's not there yet uh neither of those decks are there yet um the next card we're going to talk about is conclave mentor sure uh green and a white conclave mentor centaur cleric if one or more plus one plus one counters we put on creatures you control that many plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead plus one plus one it's worded in a weird way but it 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 puts an additional plus one plus one counter on a creature, and if it dies, you gain life equal to its power. So this is interesting because it's like a uh, it's the white version of the snake, right? The green black blinding snake, constrictor, blinding yeah. constrictor, which was like a standard all star the entire time it was in the format, and has seen some modern play uh, in uh, hardened scales decks. And this is like a different version of that that goes into white, which maybe is a color that could benefit more from plus one plus one counter shenanigans. Plus, right, the snake had death touch, right? Uh, I think it's so. Right that, here, that and sounds... is mocking me with knowing what text it had. Um, but gaining life is also a different ability that could have like more back because this is like the incidental life gain that's good, right? Like 
Bane Slayer Angel having like lifelink is backbreaking. Casting a spell that gains you life and that's all it does is terrible. And you have like one life gain is on something where it's incidental, it becomes good <laughs> versus when it's just there to be itself. And here's a place where it's like just tacked on adjacently as a punishment for getting rid of this card and does bring up the power level, I think. Yeah, and I think now that we have power players like Heliod Suncrowned that deal with plus one plus one counters and we have Walking Ballista, like, you know, Winding Constrictor, like you said, it's made a name for itself in the Hardened Scales deck, and now you can play Winding Constrictor in white instead of black, and white has Heliod Suncrowned, um, so white has some more more tools to play around with plus one plus one encounters. So uh I I don't know if it'll definitely get played, but it seems like it's worth acknowledging that white now has a winding constrictor. And and there's always the benefit of having eight of something, right? There's a lot of strategies out there that if like if you're building a strategy around a specific type of effect, if you can get eight of them, it makes it more likely and makes it more likely that a combo deck or something that requires that to be good gets more consistent and powerful. And and this is a similar effect. We're now between Hardened Scales, Winding Constrictor, and Conclave Mentor. You have a pretty good selection of cards you can have in play to be able to pull this off. Do we want to talk about Mistcast? Absolutely. Just to acknowledge it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's just to acknowledge So Mistcast is uh, a single blue instant counter-target instant or sorcery spell unless its controller pays three. So... This is, if you're worried about instants and sorceries and not planeswalkers or enchantments or artifacts, this is better than spell pierce. The question is, is the only thing you're worried about that's not a creature, instants and sorceries? And I think there are some metagames where that is true. Um, In some ways right now, like the only two things I'm really worried about in standard are... That's not true because Teferi exists. Yeah, I think with Teferi being around, this card has a hard time. (laughs) Uh, Right, yeah. like, if Planeswalkers weren't as powerful as they were, I'd be much more interested in Miscast. In formats where they are worse, Miscast becomes a lot more interesting. Modern just isn't the home for that because you're either, like, the biggest threats are creatures or Planeswalkers. And then after that, it's, like, artifacts and enchantments. Um, I can't even think of, yeah, like, I think that's the, the best source. I think that's a problem is, like, Miscast would have been real exciting before Teferi uh, Time Rappler got printed. Yeah. Like but now that he ago. got printed... Now that he got printed, counter spells that count can't counter him because he is like if you're playing a counter deck and your opponent resolves to fairy time rabbler, you you've probably lost the game. Uh or you'll you're gonna have an uphill climb to win this game now. And so I would never want to play a counter spell that can't counter to fairy. I agree. I agree with that. But yeah. Well it's I, I don't know if I agree with that, but that counter spell has to be able to counter creatures. Sure. Right. Sure. Like, like, it doesn't have to get rid of Teferi, but, like... Because, for instance, I would still think about playing what's the one-mana counter or two-drop. Like, that's a spell I would consider playing still. But that has less to do with Teferi, but has to do with being that good against so many other things, right? There has to be a reason to not be good against Teferi. This isn't that. (laughs) Um, All right, next next card. So there's three zombie tribal cards that are next on the list. So so the next card is Liliana's Steward. This is one black for a zombie 1-2. You may tap it to sacrifice it, and target opponent discards a card. Um, 
So this card's interesting to me for two reasons. One, it's a zombie, right? It's a, a low-cost zombie. We were just talking about how a low-cost rogue with an interesting ability has just something to look at because you can have this in play and pump it with lords or use it to get grave crawlers back or just other kind of zombie tribal things. There's ways to rebuy zombies more than probably any other tribe, so looping his ability um, is something that's also relevant, right? Getting that discard multiple times a turn if you can even give it haste, which would be dope. Um, but... The other thing is just like late, like not late game, but like mid game when your opponent, you have like two of these in play and your opponent draws a card or passes the turn and has just two cards in hand, you can just sacrifice them and then you've won the game, <laughs> like taking them out with it. And it's just like get some damage in early and then and then you just hold it onto your hand to make it so your opponent can't hold cards in their hand on your turn um, is an interesting effect that zombies really haven't had access to. Right. And uh, yeah, so... I think that's that's it. If there's a dedicated zombie deck, um, because we did get Undead Augur last year, and so any one-drop zombie that has a self-sacrifice effect for something, like if you go turn one Liliana Steward and turn two Undead Augur, and then you crack the Liliana Steward, you essentially drew two, because you made them discard one. Um, and then if you play any of the effects that allow you to get zombies back from your dead, like Liliana Untouched by Death, like, you know, her her ultimate lets you start casting zombies out of the graveyard. So you want as many cheap zombies as you can for the turn that you ultimate her. And Liliana Steward, it's not bad. Like, it it's a 1-2, and it has a relevant creature type and ability. So, yeah, yeah. I think this, this guy's not not bad to keep an eye on. Well, so the, the one issue is that the we already have some really strong one-drop zombie players in Carrion Feeder and Crypt Breaker. Mm-hmm. So if you're Deck is in the market for a third one-drop zombie, because I think Steward is worse than both of those. Although, Steward is stronger against a control deck than, than Carrion Feeder. Well, I think, I think like, Carrion Feeder is a different conversation because it's a sack outlet, right? I, I, I think that this is a card to consider, though, because it does attack on a different angle, and attacks decks in a way, like, there are so many aggressive zombies at one-drop, but there's not a lot of good, like, yeah, anti-control or tempo-based zombies that this offers a different angle of attack. And to kind of speak towards buying stuff back, there's also just stuff like Liliana's Standard Reaver, which is another card, Standard Bear, which is another card in this set, and cards like it, or cards that return stuff that left the battlefield that turn even, where, like, you can have two Liliana Stewards sacrifice them make them discard a card and if you play Liliana standard bearer the next turn you draw cards equal to how many creatures died so like that's a pretty big swing and there are a ton of effects like that that draw cards on people's debt on on card creature deaths that like like zombies have a lot of ways to play around with it that just having them be almost their own sacrifice trigger on top of gaining a benefit from it i think is is a pretty layered reason to exist right i think it's actually something to look at versus other bad zombie cards that when you look at it the first time, you're like, eh, I don't think this is a thing. Yeah, I like that the standard bearer costs three and has three power. So it's it's a significant threat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you will always, unless your opponent ramps, you will always be able to get enough mana to cast it before they hit four, which is where all the board sweepers come in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it has flash, right? So if you're able, it has flash, right? So if, if I go turn one, a zombie, turn two, a zombie, turn... And turn three, if I'm on the play, I can play a zombie. If I'm on the draw, I maybe just keep with it, because if my two are good threats, if I'm sniffing that they're going to Damnation or Supreme Verdict me, then I could just hold up the three mana. um, Get in. And stick this, draw two cards, and have a three power 
zombie on the board. And it's also a zombie knight, so if knights ever matters, sure. this is a knight with relevant abilities that doesn't care if the creatures that died doesn't care what their creature type was. Well, and you mentioned carrion feeder, right? Like, that's a that's almost a combo with this card, where, like, and it, it does count tokens, right? It's not non-token creatures you draw cards. So you can, like, carrion feeder, sacrifice, like, attack with a bunch of creatures, they do blocks, you sack all the ones that are, like, unprofitable to carry and feed or make your carry and feeder big, and then play this at the before the turn ends, getting, drawing, like, four cards, and your opponent taking a bunch of damage, and you having a giant carry and feeder and a Liliana standard bearer in play. And that's, like, a lot. <laughs> that You just did a lot of things to your opponent to make them sad. Yeah. Um, speaking of cards, I want to talk about it because it's interesting to me um, from a, like, Enchantress Graveyard Shenanigans, specifically one card. Uh, Demonic Embrace, one black black, Enchantment Aura, Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature gets plus three, plus one, and has flying, and is a demon in addition to its other types. You may cast Demonic Embrace from your graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card in addition to playing its other's costs. So the reason this card is interesting to me, beyond the fact that, like, it is like Rancory, right? Like it has the ability just to be a, an enchantment threat to make one creature that much bigger always, uh, is a card that I love, and I'm forgetting the name of it, so I'm looking it up. Uh, it is Strength of the Fallen. I was going to call it Forgotten the Fallen, which that was wrong. Strength of the Fallen, which I don't know if the world knows this card, but it's an enchantment uh, for one in a green. Uh, it has Constellation. Whenever Strength of the Fallen or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. So this is a, like, self-mill enchantress-themed powerhouse. If you've ever been able to pull this card off, it's, like, really, really, really dope. And this is a card where Demonic Embrace can be in that deck, and you can self-mill it, and now you have this as an available option to always trigger Strength of the Fallen from your graveyard, Adding to the fact that it also is a discard, discard outlet if you want to be discarding things to your graveyard to also get them in the, there for whatever reason. You might be doing that in a graveyard deck. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's kind of cute. <laughs> um, um, I, thought, I thought you were going to talk about Brash Taunter. Hmm. He's next. What, four and a red. Goblin. Indestructible 1-1. One, one. When Brash Taunter is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent. Two in their head, Brash Taunter fights another target creature. I know that we both love this card, and I know why we both love this card. I don't think this is modern related. <laughs> uh, for those yeah. who don't know, me and Marshall both have been trying to brew a Boros Reckoner-themed commander deck in white-red for five years Ever. now? Four yeah, years? Yeah. Three years? I, I think it, I think one of our earliest conversations, as we were being becoming friends at our local comic book store playing Commander Night, is over like what sort of ways we could make the Reckoner deck do its thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like going through things. Is there enough creatures to do it? Why isn't there a legendary creature that just does this already? Um, yeah. And like, and for those who don't know, that like it's basically taking over Blasphemous Act and being able to, or things like that that do just a ton of damage, but only the creatures, but then doing it to a creature that can redact it to a player. Stuffy Doll is, I think, the first famous one of these um, that ever kind of did the thing. Yeah, I don't. I, th this card's really sweet, and obviously just an auto include in that deck. I wish it was legendary and red white, <laughs> or like right. I wish it was legendary and its like fight ability was white, even though that's like not in white's color pie. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I wish it was a legendary white dwarf who had the fight ability in red. Yes. That's what I wish it was. Yes, agreed. That would be sweet. 
This set has one new dwarf. It has tons of new white soldiers, but only one new dwarf. And come on, wizards. Well, Magic has enough humans already. You should be biting at the chance anytime you can to make something not a human. Because you know what? I live in a world filled with humans. I don't have any goblins or elves or giants or merfolk wandering around uh, California. But I got plenty of humans. I've seen humans all day long. It's, See, it's uninteresting to me when the most interesting creatures are also humans. I have to disagree with you purely from the perspective that they've also introduced a thing that there are a ton of in Los Angeles in this set in the real world, but I could use more of in general in magic, and that's dogs. So I don't know how I can hate on the humans being the real world, but then be happy about the dogs and the do puppers that we now get in this game that I'm so excited about. I'll maybe be more mad at dogs when dogs are also a top-tier tribe that is just crushing tournaments. I Will I be mad? <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be really happy. <laughs> but and then I might... Well, because also they're so adorable. Like right, the, right. The flavor text and the art. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Watcher of the Spheres. White and a blue flying creature spells with flying pass cost you one less to cast whenever another creature with flying enters the battlefield. Under your control, Watcher of the Spheres gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. It is a 2-2 two -two bird wizard. This is the second time this effect has been printed, right? The other one was like a cat flying thing. Uh, that made them cheaper? Yeah, there, there was the Sovereigns. Uh, so so right? the, the other one that made them cheaper was Warden of Evos Isles, which was also a bird, and it but it cost three mana. It was basically... Is basically this card, but it costs three and did not have the whenever another creature was flying. So Watcher of the Spheres is a pretty strict upgrade if you're playing a blue-white flyers deck. And I think it's worth talking about because a cost reducer like this, it's basically a banneret, like one of the banneret cycles. And we almost never get cost reducers on a two-drop normally so this actually makes it a or bit the, more playable yeah normally if we get a it's for like tribal cards for tribes that are classically more expensive right so it's like dinosaurs would get a banneret or or something like beasts or something but in this in the, or dragons right um but because this is just flyers there's a ton of like two drop flyers that this makes into one drops that like pushes their power level pretty significantly by just being in play yeah, and the fact that it grows, like it starts at a decent size. Two two flyer for two is really good. You know, is a is a good rate. And the fact that like, I, if you're going to be playing Watch of the Spheres in a deck, you're going to be playing a lot of flyers. So, Watch of the Spheres is really more like a three three at the minimum on your turn because you're probably going to be casting a creature every turn for the rest of the game. Um, so a three three flyer for two that also saves you a bunch of mana. I mean, if the blue-white flyers deck is going to happen, Watch of the Spheres is really important to it. Right, agreed. Uh, the next card is Karvek the Spiteful. Uh, other creatures get minus one, minus one. Uh, he is 3-2, human, warlock, legendary creature. Uh, for two, black, black. For two, black, black. So I think this card, it, it might be a little bit in a different time. This card would be the absolute nuts. Like, if Birthing Pod was a deck still, this would be almost an auto-occlude in that deck. Um, it's like... The, the I've definitely played... What's the legendary enchantment that does this effect? Uh, Knight of Souls Betrayal? Yeah, I've definitely played Knight of Souls Betrayal as a sideboard card in Modern. And the only reason it wasn't in main decks was because this was a card... Because it wasn't a creature, right? It's like a do-nothing enchantment. Being attached to a creature that does that and all of the benefits that come with creaturehood, including tutorability, 
the fact that it can attack and block, so it's a win condition on its own, and it like it does just like house some strategies. There are strategies out there that just can't beat this effect. Like it, this being in play right. makes it lose, and so and there's a lot of strategies that just this being in play is a huge detriment. So so I think this card is actually really interesting, um, and probably one of the more sleepery things. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it uh, as much as other cards, so I'm pretty excited by it. Yeah, I yeah I don't know if he has a home right now in. Uh in modern or or any other format but his effect yeah is is strong and he costs exactly the same as knight of souls betrayal right. so it's knight of souls betrayal that comes with a three two body attached like i've like tried so, building decks that had knight of souls betrayal and the curse that does the same thing just because stacking these effects is also so good like giving all creatures minus two minus two is like actually pretty backbreaking for half of magic <laughs> um so yeah i'm, I'm interested to see what's possible with this card uh so one card we want to make sure we talk about is necromentia costs one black black sorcery choose a card name other than a basic land card name search target opponents graveyard hand and library for any number of cards of that name and exile them that player shuffles their library then creates a 2-2 black zombie creature token for each card exiled from their hand this way so this is basically unmoored ego but in mono black and they get a zombie instead of drawing a card if you if you hit cards in their hand right which so, is like so it's better it's definitely like yeah continue yeah i think i'd rather i think i'd rather give my opponent a 2-2 than a shot in the dark at a good card from their deck mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well especially just like the fact that often the decks that that type of effect is good against are combo decks right and so who cares if they have a 2-2 99 of the time um it, it it feels really similar to um swan song Right, and at least with Swan Song, it's an evasive. Like theoretically, a two-two flyer can put the game away, but a two-two nerd on the ground. Like if your deck can't handle a two-two nerd on the ground, then like your your deck is bad. You need to figure it out. And already some decks were playing Lost Legacy, which is basically the same card, only it, again it lets them draw a card, and it can never name artifacts. So Necromentia can name anything. Mm -hmm. Um. And so this just feels like a strict upgrade for the most part over Lost Legacy and an easier card to play than Unmoored Ego. Yeah. And I don't know. Feels yeah, yeah. feels like a pretty good silver bullet finder. Good find. We missed that card. Came back. Nyambi, esteemed speaker, a uh, white blue, human cleric, 2-1, flash. When Nyambi, esteemed speaker, enters the battlefield, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do... You gain life equal to that creature's converted mana cost. One white blue, discard a legendary card, draw two cards. Um, this card is dope. This card is scary in some ways, especially out of humans. This being a human and being able to like rebuy freebooters once the card you stole is no longer relevant, or respond to a removal spell, and then discard like extra Thalias that you don't need because you already have one in play to draw cards. Yeah. Like, there's like weird. And you can just, like, play some legendary lands if you need to. like Or play, like, just, like, random legendaries that are legendary accidentally just to add that legendary count to take advantage of the second ability. But, like, the ability to, like, basically counter every removal spell in the format plus draw you cards on redundant effects that your deck does play plus rebuy into the battlefield effects, which humans does have um is dope and terrifying and that's in humans this like has other effects in other places it could be good but that that that's where i'm most terrified of it i think 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think for all the reasons you're talking about, like I was just thinking that she's in the colors of Reflector Mage, which has always been one of my favorite, and like the idea of like Reflector Maging and then bouncing it, you get to gain three life because you're gaining life equal to its toughness, and now you're going to get to reflect again, and you still have two power on the board, so you didn't lose two power, but you gained three life and picked up Reflector Mage, mm -hmm. which just feels super great. As you said, being able to like. Like now, I feel like if I'm playing a white blue based humans deck or or a tempo um, tempo aggro deck, like I want to just play like four flagstones of Trocare. Like that card's not bad. When you play a second flagstones, you just get to go get a planes. So it's not like the legendary clause ever matters. But then now Niambi says every time you draw a flagstones, you can throw it away and draw two cards. Right, right. But you also got like Minimo School at the Water's Edge, mm -hmm. which is you know, not bad. Like I would like I would consider playing this just in Merfolk. Like and like you have Kira's and Kumano's that you can discard or whatever, or playing it like she can also discard planeswalkers, right? Like if you like have the second Teferi and you don't need it, just ditch it and draw two cards off of it. Like there's and that's like her like, like medium mode. Like, <laughs> like how many times have you played a Teferi just because you needed you wanted to draw one more card. I mean, mm -hmm. I played a Teferi when there wasn't something to bounce because I just wanted to essentially cycle through him. Mm -hmm. And now Niambi's like, how would you like to rather draw two cards? Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, she's she's real strong all around. And have we talked about uh Baron, Telerian, Archmage yet? No, I believe that was spoiled later. That's that's okay. later in the in the Well when we get to when we get to Baron, Niambi and Baron have a nice amount of synergy together mm -hmm. that also impresses me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh so next card is I think my favorite card in the set. I've already bought two foils. It's the only card I've pre-ordered. Uh, Ooh, did you get the full art foil? Oh no, I forgot that was a thing that exists. Damn, I will need to get more foils on this card, I guess. Uh three blue 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 reads end the turn which exile all spells and it's an instant end the turn exile all spells and abilities from the stack including this card the player whose turn it is discards down to their maximum hand size damage wears off and this turn and until end of term effects end it's costs as long as it's your turn this spell costs two blue blue less to cast so on your turn it's one and a blue end the turn which, you know, generally you can do on your own, but this lets you do some shenanigans. But on your opponent's turn at six mana, you can end their turn, which is backbreaking and insane. <laughs> um, this yes. is this is like the two cards basically kind of stapled onto one. The first one is Time Stop, um, which is my favorite card in my Geist Commander deck. But like it, it is something very brutal. If someone's comboing off, if someone is casting a spell that like, you're being able to counter that spell, but then also make it so the rest of their turn doesn't happen is an extremely powerful effect. It's time walk plus a counter spell um, and end endure more, right? There's, there, there's it, depending on the situation, it's even trickier. And then yeah. you add the fact that decks that you can use it as kind of like a on your turn trick bind effect, right? Or like a counter spell to your opponent fetching on the end. Of, like the, the worst case scenario with this card in modern, if you have it in your main deck, is um oh i passed the turn oh wait i'm gonna fetch at the end of your turn i end my turn and then you just like two mana stone your opponent brutal <laughs> yeah 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 so brutal um, um well and like um yeah i think like this card's 
really strong because it, it can always get you out of a mess. And it also, like, now, now Modern has two cheap and effective ways to sort of control what's going on based on whose turn it is. If it's your opponent's turn, you've got Pact of Negation. Or no, uh, Force of Negation. Mm -hmm. But then on your turn, you have Discontinuity. Um, and I also appreciate that Discontinuity plays really well with certain effects that are bad effects that happen at the end of your turn. Um, like, just the other day I was watching Saffron Olive play a standard deck that involved uh, Chance for Glory and Tails End. And the plan is you could take infinite turns using Vadrock and Mutates. Um, and every turn, at the end of turn, you would Tails End the trigger that, oh, yeah. that causes you to lose the game. Uh, but Discontinuity is basically Tails End in that way. Right, well, like in Chance for Glory is another example, right? Any of the cards that say you lose the game at end of turn or at any point, you can respond to that effect with discontinuity, blah, 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 this continuity. discontinuity, and that allows you to, you know, make sure you're not losing the game and, and gaining that powerful yeah. effect that normally would have cost that of you. I mean, I think just one last thing to really hammer home. This card also somewhat reminds me a little bit of like i mean it is a two mana hard counter spell on your turn which which modern doesn't quite have a two mana hard counter spell at any time they are always two mana soft in some way and the um, softness in this is you and, lose the rest of your turn right like if you right. if if you do this during your attack step and you forgot to cast spells you wanted to cast this turn even if you had the mana up you now don't get to do that. But yes, it is it is it is a hard counter on your turn. Now the existence of it makes, you know, so many decks would be like EOT, you know, end of turn, I'm gonna bolt your guy, I'm gonna push your guy, or I'm gonna path your guy. And this just straight counters that. So now now if you are someone playing a removal spell against a blue deck, you have to know that they can hard counter it with discontinuity. So now maybe you want to be thinking about should I bolt the bird in their draw step? Should like when should I push the like when should I kill their thing? I shouldn't wait until they're already done with their turn to push the thing if they're having two mana untapped because they might just discontinuity encounter it. If this card is playable at all, you are no longer allowed to fetch against an opponent on their turn. Either gonna have to especially wait. especially like. The this effect makes me want to play Tails End all the more because now I feel like the prevalence of fetch lands in modern makes trick bind effects and Tails End effects and discontinuity effects that much stronger. And so yeah, I, I and that's and that's I feel like, like that's now it's just unsafe yeah. to I feel like it's unsafe to fetch ever now. Right. Like and that's the medium version of this card. Because this card is like if you can get the six mana, this card is backbreaking against every strategy in Magic. Just like being able to end a turn in the response to whatever spell they try casting on their turn is extremely, extremely powerful. And then add to the fact that you have any use for it on your turn beyond, like, at all, and and, and that includes countering fetch lands. Like, then add the whole layer. Like the the other thing, like it makes it weird where the incentives to fetch are now in like moments where it's bad for your opponent. Like you want to do it during their draw step. 
right? Or during right. their attack step or like in the middle of them having something on the stack. Like you have to always fetch in response to a spell because then they can't discontinuity you without wrecking themselves. So like, right. that, like that's like a thing that you just have to be aware of now to be good at modern. <laughs> that if your opponent is blue, you need to always be fetching in response to spells because discontinuity exists. Um, which I can see people not liking that for the, this card existing, but I love that. That sounds great. Yeah. This card's amazing. It definitely, discontinuity has added a whole new layer to playing mm -hmm. with and against blue decks. And like some fun tricks, uh, you can keep your angel from Geist. So when you attack with Geist, the same draft makes an angel, and then normally at the end of combat, after damage, it exiles or it dies. Discontinuity, you can respond to that trigger and then you keep the angel forever. You could theoretically thing with unearth. You could like say you're unearthing a fate stitcher, and you want to keep that fate stitcher around. Well, you proceed to your end of turn step, put the exile on the stack, and then end the turn. Right, and now you have it forever. Yep, there's like the versatility of this card. It is my favorite card in this set. I think pretty single handedly. Um, Terror of the Peaks is a big card for standard, but I don't think it's a modern card, right? Or do you want to talk? I think just briefly touch on it because it is real powerful yeah so uh three red red terror of the peaks creature dragon five four flying spells your opponents cast that target terror of the peaks costs an additional three life to cast and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control terror of the peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target so this is probably not modern playable however this is Warstorm Surge for one less mana that has a 5-4 flyer that is then also ornery to remove attached to it. And it's a dragon, which is not an irrelevant creature type. Correct. I think actually that's probably the thing that puts it closest to modern playable, is it having the dragon creature type as more dragon tribal gets printed. This is the best not-haste 5-drop dragon printed ever. Or in a long time. Probably. Like Ojitai. Yeah. Like Ojitai is what's comparable to this, which is a card that is modern playable. Um yeah. like the the Storm the Storm Breath Hellkites, those got the 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 like five mana I attack, I do I come in with a five four, the turn I play it. I think those are still better than this. But if you're looking for other tribal things or you're looking for something that's more sorcery speed and wants to take advantage of the second half in a combo way, this is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um Silver's Moat Ghoul, two black. 3-1. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, return Silvermore Ghoul from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. One black, sacrifice Gilmar Girl, or Gilmar Girl, uh, sil <laughs> sil Silver's Mole, Silver's yeah, Mole sacrifice Ghoul. Gilmore Girl. Yeah, uh -huh. sacrifice the Gilmore Girl and draw a card. <laughs> this is Rory, or Lorelei, it's up to you. Uh, yes. I wonder what percentage of our audience understands Gilmore Girl references. <laughs> uh... It's only about 50% of the hosts understand them. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it's classic. They talk so fast. <laughs> it's so uh, um, It's interesting that this is a zombie vampire, which I think is our first zombie vampire in Magic. Really? Um, it's the first? I know for sure we've had zombie... or vampire ghosts or spirits, because that's blood ghosts. Yes. Right. But I think I think normally they're either one or they're the other. Let me see... Answer the question, Scryfall. Yes, Silver Smote Ghoul is the first zombie vampire that isn't a changeling. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of vampires that do zombie, have zombie things, or like give 
Yeah, that's cool. Okay, 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 zombie vampire. Uh, I mean, something that is relevant to that is, like, this card is very good with um, both sides of that tribe strategy, right? Like, it's weird that there are things that it triggers on both ends. The thing that I'm most excited about is that this gets triggered off in dredge off of um, uh, the, the mill spell you cast oh, three that does three oh, damage. chilling chilling uh creeping chill. creeping chill yeah so this this if you're it's in your graveyard and you mill into a creeping trill triggers this brings it into play which then also triggers your prized amalgams so this is another part of that experience that then if the three one attacking isn't super relevant you can sacrifice to trigger dredge to keep going very very cool it has a lot of words on it all of them dredge love <laughs> it's it's interesting that it also means for pioneer uh, you know, Pioneer doesn't have dredge cards, but it has the ability to play a dredge-like strategy because of the various surveil effects, and it has Creeping Chill, now it has this guy, and Prized Amalgam, and Narc Amoeba, yeah. so even, even Pioneer is starting to get into the dredge game, and so Silver Smoke Ghoul uh, uh, will definitely probably play there. In fact, as soon as this set's available on Arena, my plan is to try to do... Because I had a Arclight Phoenix self-mill deck um, available to myself. And this plus that deck, like all the cards that we just talked about were just in that deck. So theoretically, you could take advantage of just another self-mill target along the Phoenixes, which might be what it was was looking for. So yeah, I think it's it's really sweet. I like, like this card a lot. Uh, it's also interesting that um, we got, uh, what was the Smiting Helix? Uh uh from from uh modern horizon smiting helix the one that has oh, flash yeah. the lightning helix that has flashback again like Sitter three life is a convenient life to life number because lightning helix and smiting helix also gain you that much life so being able to just incidentally get a three power creature back whenever you do that like the fact that that ability costs no mana it just triggers whenever you gain that life um makes me really interested and, then, and enthusiastic about and like, this card. Prize Amalgam existing just as a card is relevant to that, right? Because it, it will always be able to be returned by this. Even Gravecrawler, the fact that this is a zombie is not irrelevant to that fact. Um, or just any parts of the fact that this is a, a creature that is also a um, or a vampire and zombie. Like, right, there is the tribal synergies that do exist there. Uh, yep. Next card, and there's two cards to talk about. They're both Soul Sisters related, but the first one I think is the more powerful one. Um, Speaker of the Heavens. One, one, uh, it's a one, one human cleric for one white mana. Vigilance, lifelink. Creature, create a four, four white angel creature token with flying. Activate this ability only if you have at, at least seven life more than your starting life total and only any time you can cast a sorcery. So if you can get to 27 life, you can just tap Speaker of the Heavens to pump out 4-4 angels. And in the meantime, it's a Vigilance lifelink 1-1 human. That, that card has so much on it. <laughs> like the 1-1 one, one for 1 with this much upside, it's just well, it doesn't, really like, wild to me. It, I don't think it did graduate, though, from the same school as like Questing Beast, right? Or our preview card. Like it's not a lot uh -huh. of different war... It's not a lot of different random abilities. It's just... A 1-1 one, one lifelink, one, one, a 1-1 one, one for 1 vigilance lifelink, which is not a ridiculous thing to see, that just has a tap ability that's insane. <laughs> right. I mean, this feels like uh, like Sarah Ascendant, um, but much stronger before you hit the number. Um, 
and maybe just sort of well, comparable once you hit the number. I don't think it's much stronger, right? Vigilance isn't that much better than not Vigilance on a 1-1 one, one for 1. I guess that's true. So, like, they're both 1-1 one, one lifelinkers. Vigilance is theoretically better. And and Sarah's Ascendant is more terrifying from a haste perspective the turn it turns on. This is easier to turn on and in the long run is more terrifying. But easier to kill, right? Like, I can bolt this still. Where I, like, once Sarah Ascendant's big, it's just a thing I can't deal with with regular magic. Well, Fatal Push kills all these things. But, um, so yeah, it's interesting how they separate also the threat. They're, like, very similar cards, though. But that's a pretty high bar to be able to reach. Like, the fact that this is probably as powerful if not more powerful than Saris and it means this is just a great card that needs to be played in every soul sisters deck moving forward yeah soul sisters soul sisters has really been gaining a lot there's a lot of when you gain life x happens in this set and they're all they all feel and like they're pushing constructed playable so silver smoke ghoul was one speaker of the heavens is one and then griffin eerie is the other one griffin eerie is an enchantment that costs one and white at the beginning of your instep, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 2-2 white griffin creature token with flying. So like Silver Smoke Ghoul triggers on three life, and it's only two mana. So if you cast it and you and you manage to gain three life that turn, then it's a two mana 2-2 two, two flyer with the potential to keep making flyers. Yeah. And I feel like you want to be able to make two griffins to really make this thing pay for itself. Um, but in a dedicated life gain deck, um, that seems possible, like a Soul Sisters deck, or especially a Martyr of Sands deck, because Martyr, right. right? Martyr is always three times the number of white cards right. revealed. So it's just easy turns this on. You have to sacrifice Martyr, right? But Modern Park can then rebuy it. I think that the fact that this card is very difficult to get rid of, right? It's an enchantment for two mana. It's very cheap to get into play. And then for the rest of the game, in a life gain deck, it's just going to keep making threat value for you. Um, I do think it's the weakest of the three life gain cards. Like, Michael's off of it. We talked about this earlier. Uh, mm. I, I'm with you more on that. I think this card is powerful enough and is an additional strategy. I think it also more, like, modern formats, it has a little bit of other value the other thing though is that this is also a good sideboard card against control strategies right if i'm i'm a, i'm i'm soul sisters and i'm worried about just being removed out of the game and then they'll eventually win with some type of other threat this lets me put something to play that's just going to continue drawing me value against them that they keep having to deal with so so i do think there's also like sideboard potential for this card that a soul sisters almost more than regular value i'm, I'm definitely just interested to play all of these cards in uh, life game based uh, commander decks. Oh yeah, I'm gonna put both of these. I have, I have, uh, uh, not Taza. I do have Taza, but that's not life game based. That's Staxi. Uh, oh yeah, Taza Karloff. Taza Karloff definitely wants uh, Griffin Eerie and Speaker of the Heavens. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, the new one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was thinking more. Uh, Tristani is who I have. Oh yeah, Tristani too. Tristani wants both sisters. of those guys also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, uh, next card, and this is probably the most powerful card in this set. I don't think we're going to get another card that's really as strong as this card, maybe ever. Um, like, it's actually surprising that they're willing to print something of this power level. And, and it's a green card, surprising absolutely no one. Um, you know, the power level of green cards nowadays is just through the roof. Uh, it's, it's, uh, a 6-6 six, six creature, 
Um, it has trample. Uh, it is a dinosaur, and it costs four green green, and it's colossal dreadmaw. I can't believe they were willing to reprint it. It's it's really it hasn't it ruined standard enough over the last three years. <laughs> uh, I'm just tired of tear getting torn up and limited by this guy. I'm just really stoked. I like love this card. <laughs> He's so happy to see this boat. It's just like a boat in the lake that he's so so excited to find and, and chomp down on. Uh, Hooded Blightfang, two and a black snake, death touch. Whenever a creature you control with death touch attacks, each opponent loses one life and gains one life. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a planeswalker, destroy this planeswalker. I think that's just what death touch should do. I think they should have oh, death in, touch. Now death touch should just mean kill planeswalkers uh, when they yeah. I think like, that. I think that's probably fair. Um, although then it makes um. Like then it makes all these like one ones with death touch for one that they printed over the years, uh, like significantly stronger. Not that they were like playable beforehand, so maybe like that's the the thing. Like yeah, I, um, I, don't, I don't think I don't think like the one mana one one death touch rat or whatever sees the constructed play now because it can kill a planeswalker and attack. It does make death touches a lot better, or arguably it makes planeswalkers a lot worse. And neither of those are things that I don't, that I dislike. Like, Planeswalkers not being as powerful, I don't think, is a net negative at the moment. And I don't think Death Touchers being better against Planeswalkers is that bad. Hmm. So, yeah, you might be right. Just a thought. Just a thought. Uh, Scavenging News is back. So Yeah, really, really cool. And the art of it, the the full art. Oh. Um one looks super dope sweet it's right there i'm assuming everyone's getting a good mm -hmm. look at it look how great it's it looking looks. great looks so great uh the next uh, kite cell freebooter is also back uh sublime epiphany though four blue blue instant choose one or more so this is a super command uh counter target spell counter target activated or triggered ability return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, or target player draws a card. So, if you want, if someone is countering a spell in response to you doing something to their fetch lands, <laughs> you may counter <laughs> that spell, counter the triggered ability, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, create a token that's a copy of a creature you control, and draw a card. So, I mean, I guess... The, the ideal magical Christmas land, right, is somebody has cast a spell which has triggered an ability of their yes. card. Yeah. yeah, something like Dredge, um, where, like... Like Aria of Flame. Let's say they have an Aria of Flame in play, and they're casting a spell. You can cast Sublime Epiphany to counter the spell, counter the Aria of Flame. Uh, you could even then bounce the Aria of Flame to their hand. Then you can create a token of your Snapcaster Mage, and then you can draw a card. Um... One interesting thing that I was reading in the FAQ about Sublime Epiphany is uh, no matter how many abilities you choose, they resolve in the order that they are printed on the card. And if you choose the second, or if you choose the third and fourth ability, you may return that non-land permanent can be your creature, which you are also making a copy of, and the ability will not fizzle because they are all resolving at once. So you could be countering a spell, returning your Snapcaster to your hand, 
creating a copy of that Snapcaster and drawing a card, and all those effects would happen. And you'd end up with a Snapcaster in your hand, a token Snapcaster on the board with its ability going on the stack. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And the cool thing is, I think also the Sublime Epiphany will have resolved by the time your token Snapcaster ability is on the stack so that you can then snap back the Sublime Epiphany if you have infinite mana or whatever. Right, right, right. I do think I do think that if I'm playing one of the new six drop counter spells though, I'm playing the end of the turn one that can cost two mana, but I do think this card is really sweet and I like kind of what it's doing. Uh the only other thing I was gonna say about Sublime Epiphany is it makes um makes the Gear Hulk, Torrential Gear Hulk, more exciting. Because this That's is probably you, you know, you don't want to torrential I guess you could flash in on your opponent's turn, torrential gear hulk and gear hulk them with discontinuity, which is pretty sweet. Um but uh, Sublime Epiphany is probably the second strongest super expensive instant now. Uh, um, yeah, it's like that or the one that is only an instant with Aftermath. It's, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's four blue. You can bounce or put target spell. Oh, commit or, to memory. Yeah, spell or commit. permanent fourth from the top of someone's library. or And then it's, and the memory is... Shuffle your graveyard into your time twister. Um, you can do that with Gearhawk, which is sweet, because you can target the commit side and then do the memory side of the spell with Aftermath. That's pretty sweet. That's like the only... That's like the cool Torrential Gearhawk. That's an interesting tech. trick. Uh, but yeah, this card's really sweet with Gearhawk. That's for sure. You just have to get it into your graveyard. Like, that's what... Like, the other one, you could trick bind their land and then late game end their turn with Gearhawk, which is also really sweet. Man, I want to play that card so bad. So let's let's play let's play that deck. Let's, <laughs> let's just play mono blue draw go with four main deck discontinuities. Yeah, I mean I'm done uh, all about it. <laughs> play some Snapcaster mages, some Gearhawks, discontinuities, maybe I'm, a trick binds. I'm, I'm all about Tails End. I feel like I've now like played some games with Tails Ends in my deck, and like Tails Ending a three fairy just feels super good. Oh yeah. Um, Rada. Don't think Rada's a thing because, uh, like, Corsair Crucifix isn't a thing in modern. But this is an aggressive Corsair, right? Like, the problem with Corsair is it's like slow and meant to be more of like a life game grind kind of play. Extra lands off the top of your deck, Rada. Yes, we can we can talk about it. Oh, I feel we just include what we're saying. Rada, which is a one red green legendary creature elf warrior, 3-3. Three, three. As long as it's your turn, Rada, Heart of Keld has first strike. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may play lands from the top of your library. For four red and green, Rada gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the number of lands you control. Yeah, I, I think that the one consideration here is that, like, A, Corsair Crucifix doesn't not see play in modern, right? It sees fringe play, but it, it like definitely sees one of play out of different lands decks or sideboard play or and Jund is a one of. This is just an aggressive version of that card. Um, instead of gaining life, you get the ability to just, like, get aggressive. Um, it is a 3-3 versus a 2-4, which is worse, because Volt is a card that people play. Right. Because my thought is that this is fighting with Gruul Spellbreaker for, uh, for a spot in a, a Gruul Stompy deck, and I feel like Gruul Spellbreaker's it both has trample and it has riot and can't be messed with on your turn. 
Uh, but I, like, I'd rather play this in Jund, I think, right? Where like getting lands off the top of my deck or even seeing what's on top of my deck is more valuable. Like being able to like look and be like, oh, if I cast this Bloodbraid Elf now, this is a blowout versus, oh, it's Thoughtseize on top of my deck. I might as well. Sh and like, you know, like the top effect there isn't even that bad, especially if you're playing Bobs. Like this and Bob is really powerful because you can kind of like stack your deck to be able to get those triggers in the way you want or like fetch in a way that's more beneficial to you. Um, like that's one of the reasons you play Corsair in Jun decks, right? It does have enough synergy with like half of what your deck is doing, and Rada doesn't necessarily not have that, and it's just a better threat than Corsair, but it is a worse grind machine, which is what Jun wants to do. So it's, I think it's a, it's a, I go back and forth on it. Um, next card is Nine Lives, one white white M twenty one rare enchantment hexproof. If a source would deal damage to you, prevent that damage and put an incarnation counter on nine lives. When there are nine or more incarnation counters on nine lives, exile it. When nine lives leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. I've seen <coughs> two different modes of trying to make this card work. The first one is as the, like, I can't lose the game effect. So I got a, a Phyrexian Unlife um, that's, like, a little bit better than Phyrexian Unlife in some ways. And in some ways, it's worse. It's better in the ways where you can figure out ways to make it so counters. Like, this in Solemnity means you actually can't lose the game, ever. Um, right? Well, that, that's the way it is with Phyrexian Unlife, too. Solemnity doesn't prevent you from Unlife... infect counters. Huh? Solemnity doesn't prevent you from getting infect counters, does it? I don't it, believe it It does. says players can't get counters. Does it? I think. Solem... Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, it works similarly with Phyrexian Unlife, then. Um... The cooler thing to do with this card is give it to your opponent and bounce it with a bounce all permanence and play to their owner's hands. <laughs> <laughs> like you harmless harmless offering it to them? Yeah, and then you just kill That's it. That's pretty cute. Because it kills them. If you get this into their hand, or like destroy all enchantments, right? Like this in, in like a any type of effect like that, and they lose the game. <laughs> or like target That's player true. sacrifices an enchantment, which is like the scariest version because they might, if they have any other enchantment, it does nothing, but they also likely don't because this is magic in constructed format <laughs> yeah i mean so because there's like back to nature which is probably the easiest wipe all enchantments for just two mana that doesn't target and it it was it's in green and it is an instant so you could play a naya colored harmless offering nine lives back to nature deck um although i kind of feel like why aren't you just playing Harmless Offering Demonic Pact? That's so much more fun. <laughs> Is it more fun? Because I feel like this card's very cute. <laughs> I mean, it is sort of cute that you can cast nine lives while you're still trying to set up your combo, and your opponent has to... Kill you through like, the nine lives being in play. Right. But it's important to note that like nine lives isn't always better than not having it, because if your opponent is dealing lots of little damage to you, then nine lives is bad. Whereas like Phyrexian Unlife, like part of the strength of Phyrexian Unlife is you could take a million damage and it will keep you from dying for that first million damage hit. Mm -hmm. um, it, it cancels a turn worth of damage. It counts as a turn worth of damage. Whereas nine lives just, uh, it doesn't matter what your life total is. When you cast nine lives now, you have essentially a life total of nine and everything only deals one damage to you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely interesting. It's it's very interesting that now the 
Solemnity Phyrexian Unlife combo is now in Pioneer. Yes, that's true. Uh, that's interesting. So so now you can play Nine Lives Solemnity uh, as just like a prison style win condition um, in uh, Pioneer. And uh, once we get, you know, we were talking before the cast. Uh, now might be a good time to talk about our Patreon. Yes, yeah. But absolutely. before the cast, we were talking with um, some of the members of the Nobles of House Modern, hanging out with them uh, in our Discord chat. And we were talking about Arena, uh, because one cool thing that's happening is Arena, uh, by the time you all are hearing this, Arena is now on Mac, which as a Mac user myself, I am quite excited about that because I've been having to use weird backdoors to get into play arena and so now finally it's going to be on mac hooray it's and be... historic is blowing up in a big way on yeah. on arena <clears throat> and we were talking about how they're already planning on releasing like an Amonket remastered for arena at some point in the near future mm -hmm. so when that happens solemnity huh rumors are this august okay so when that happens solemnity nine lives will be in historic correct and that's that's kind of cool yeah that's a cool thing that can happen big shout out to the nobles of house modern including andrew kelso cam albergini and and brandon s russell thank you so much pinkies up to you sirs uh for those who don't know uh basically uh we have a patron it's how marshall is paid to help make all this happen we were literally this podcast wouldn't work without the help of you patrons and people, future patrons and past patrons. Um, and uh, as part of that, there's, there's uh, you know, a higher tier where basically at the beginning of it, right before we record every episode, we invite people to a private Discord. We just have conversation. We talk about what's going on. Uh, they get like sneak peeks into what we're going to talk about that week's episode, or even we talk about what we're probably going to talk about next week. Um, it ends up that review episode season generally means that there's like all of these things I want to talk about written on a list that we have to wait until we're done reviewing the set uh, to talk about. Um, hint, it's about Pioneer and whether I think it's going to survive longer than ever. Um, and so, yeah, they get to kind of hang out and, and, and chat and have a good time in the chat. And uh, please check out the Patreon. There's a bunch of cool stuff there. Um, and we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that and, and check it out. You also get an early version of the episode that we do that's Ross. There's no editing done, so you get all of the weird things where we're wrong. Uh, but yeah, definitely check out the Patreon. Also, make sure to follow uh, the podcast and me and Marshall on all the social media things and YouTube. If you're on YouTube right now, please subscribe, hit the bell, the little alert bell, and like it. Actually, likes matter a lot more than we even thought, so really appreciate if you just like it right there. Um, and then obviously comment. We'd love to see, like, if we missed a card, you know, next week when we do our last episode, if we missed a card over these three review episodes, we'll definitely still be able to, like, go back and cover some of them. So if we did miss something, please let us know. Uh, and if not, we'd love to hear what your favorite card is. Like, what, what card that we discussed is just the best card in M M21 of, of all. Is it the the Discontinue? What is the card that I love? I can't remember its name. Discontinuity. Discontinuity, not discontinuity. I was close. <laughs> um, Discontinue uh, would have been a fine name for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so so love to hear from you guys. And, and I'm at Kess Wiley on uh, Twitter and Twitch and Instagram and everywhere on the planet. And I'm at Marsh Unfocused. And uh, our other hosts, uh, Mike and Ben, are also uh, at Duddard, uh, D-U-R-A-D-D. -D. And then Ben is at Ben Bateman Media uh, on all the things. 
more things. And you can check out his new YouTube channel, Nerds and Suits. Uh, also, I released a, a, a Nahiri deck tech last week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that style of commander deck tech. It was something I tried that's new and different, and I like hate every joke I made, but I want to know if you liked them. So <laughs> let me know. Uh, cool. Continuing the rest of the set review, we do have one more day left uh, after this. So... Uh, Shacklegeist, one in a blue, Spirit, 2-2 two, two Flyer. Uh, Shacklegeist can block only creatures with flying, so it's got high flying. Uh, tap two untapped spirits you control, tap target creature you don't control. So this has the ability to kind of like get stuff out of the way if you're trying to get damage in and flyers. I think it's weaker than other two drop options. I think even there's a better one in this set. Um, but it does have, anytime there's a spirit that has like a useful ability, which this definitely is, it's worth kind of taking a look at and seeing if there's an opportunity for it. It could be sideboard worthy if there is like a grindy flyer deck you're trying to get around or for the mirror, this could be like a mirror breaker. Um, but otherwise I think it's, it's a little bit less than. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just doesn't, doesn't do enough. It asks, it asks too much and doesn't give enough. Maybe if it had flash on yeah. top of what it has now, but it's, it's just not doing enough. I think spirits has got too many good two drops as it is. All right, and now the return. It's been they've they've it's been since Kamigawa Block. We're getting them partially because we probably are never going to Kamigawa Block. Uh, so they're gonna make core sets and commander sets and all of those things about that instead. Uh, Sanctum of the, uh, these are the shrines. It's a cycle of uh, five uncommons uh, and one rare. They accompany the original shrine series, the Honden Hondens Hondens. Hopefully. Uh, and they are legendary enchantments that all basically have an ability that uh, for every shrine you have in play, you get something. Um, and so the green one is uh, at the beginning of each pre-combat main phase, add X mana of any color, where X is the number of shrines you control. The red one is one mana, discard a land card or shrine card. Uh, Sanctum of the Shattered Heart deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. The black one is one and a black. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the number of shrines you control. Sanctum of Calm Waters, three and a blue. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may draw X cards where X is the number of shrines you control if you do discard a card. Sanctum of Tranquil Light, one white, uh, five, uh, and then you activate five and a white activated ability, tap target creature. This ability costs one less to activate for each shrine you control. And then Sanctum of All, white, blue, black, red, green, all five colors, legendary enchantment, shrine. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may search your library and or graveyard for a shrine card and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If an ability of another shrine you control triggers while you control six or more shrines, that ability triggers an additional time. Yes. <laughs> a lot of stuff. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't think we have, I don't think shrines are gonna bust, bust up modern. Well, I do think that these shrines are interesting. Um, they're all interesting additions. I especially really like the black shrine, um, especially for multiplayer. Like this set has already been out on cockatrice, so I already have thrown together a five color shrines commander deck with Sisei Weatherlight Captain as the commander. And Sanctum Stone Fangs gets it done. It's definitely one of your primary win conditions in the deck. So I also it's really I also, aggressively costed too. I think that yeah, I think I think the really 
Hey, hey, I don't think shrines are out of the question in modern pioneer historic uh, uh, to kind of begin with. A, they added the other Hondans to the other shrines to historic right before this. It was kind of like a preview to this being a thing, partially because one of the things that's always been a limit to them is the the high, the lowest converted mana cost shrine was three, right? So that like that's kind of not a strategy that's going to win you a game. But the fact that now you can like curve out one drop two drop three drop shrine that kills a creature four drop shrine that draws like they all kind of start stacking for a lot of value the black one is great at delaying the game right like you get, end up gaining so much life from it that you can kind of like really stabilize with it in play and yeah. like i think the white one's getting kind of hated on but the fact that it like costs one mana is like almost actually its secret ability right it's more of a right. one white mana enchantment discounts as a shrine ignore the rest of the text <laughs> right uh, and, and it's that... also important it's important to note that it counts itself so its ability actually only costs five by default and normally um, on turn two you're playing a sh uh, by turn three at least you're going to play a shrine so it's this three drop shrine turn four you should be able to start using it if you need to and then it starts getting nutty if you're actually curving out one top two drop three drop four drop um right it, it i also think that like there's a lot of really good enchantress like benefits like there's the the creature that was recently printed in the standard like all the the theros champion yeah, the champion yeah. um that and then there's even like pretty good in modern and pioneer like all enchantments cost one less effects that are just like out there um yes there's one that makes all enchantments cost one less and you gain a life every time you cast an enchantment which if you're playing shrines you're a control deck right. so you need to be gaining life so there's like a lot of weird, powerful things, and the value they gain you is nutso. <laughs> Once you like are online, it's very hard to lose. And so I'm 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 actually interested to see if someone can pull off the shrine deck in any format. Now for me, I'm probably gonna first start in Gladiator on Arena, which is the like the singleton uh, Canadian Highlander, but in on Arena uh, variant where these are all legal and you can just play all of them, no problem. Um, but I'm interested to see what other people do uh any other things on shrines uh i think one thing to note is the red shrine the red shrine i think is simultaneously one of the weaker shrines but gives you something that shores up what the overall shrine strategy has as a weakness and that is they're legendary you can't have more than one of a given shrine so but you want to be playing more than one of a given shrine because you want that consistency. So Sanctum of Shattered Heights gives you something to do so that when you draw that second black shrine, you're not just drawing dead. Now what you've drawn is essentially a sort of a lightning bolt, um, which is not bad. And, so, and, and the yeah. fact that like some of the shrines are bigger than that, right? There are like five drop shrines. Sanctum of All is a great example. The, the ability to also... Like it not only does it shore up the problem of legendary like having a bunch of legendaries, it also shores up the problem of like needing to kill creatures that are in play that like you need to because you are, need a w way to stop things from attacking you, and there is a balancing issue of shrines plus removal spells, and this lets you kind of double up on them or make the cards you have already relevant, and and the fact that it also like. And this is the other thing with, with drawing a card that helps, right? Like being able to draw cards off of shrines off of the, the different things makes them so that the, the legendary effect, if you have to play it and one of them has to die, you're still getting a card draw effect off of it. So, yeah, I'll definitely be interested to play this in um, standard, especially after Ravnica block rotates. 
because this these this strategy in standard with Calyx um, is something I'd really like to play around with. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what these cards do. I hope Calyx is dope in the long run. I mean, Calyx was dope when I drew it in that commander game. I like, more being like, able to turn anything into an O-ring felt pretty good. I meant more like as a character. Because, like, oh. it, it kind of sucks that there was, like, no Theros story, right? Because, like, on paper, Calyx is currently, especially now that Dak is dead, the character I look the most alike. <laughs> he also has my name with an A at the front. <laughs> so, like... Calyx, Calyx Esler? Yeah, or no, Calyx... Yeah, 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 he, like, moved the K. <laughs> uh-huh. So, like, I want to be all about him, but, like, he kind of just... The card isn't that exciting in, like, my life of playing Magic not playing too much enchantressy things and story wise like all we know is he like kind of broke the rules of magic story by existing and then we don't and he's like kind of a bad guy to hunt uh uh elspeth elspeth right like he like a god can create a planeswalker so that's what it is he's he's a creation of clothes i believe so yes to hunt down elspeth Maybe he was a human that was given his powers by Clothis. But then that does imply that a human can be granted a spark by a god. Right. Right. But I mean, I guess we've already, Xenagos has already told us that a planeswalker can use their spark to turn themselves into a god. So. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's Xenagos' spark, right? Maybe that's actually, like, we don't know because we don't have the story of this set. <laughs> you know, I, that's that's going to be my headcanon now. Okay. Clothis came along, had Xenagos' spark because she, like, subsumed him, and it's just like, I don't want this shit. I like being a god. Yeah, she's the red-green god. Well, I, I, she's a red-green god. She has the ability to, like, when things die, she collects them. I guess, or keeps them there. And so, or make sure they stay dead, however you want to kind of put it. And so, yeah, I'm fine with that. That all makes sense to me. All right, I'm, I'm happy with yeah. it. Cool. Calyx seems to be dope. I need more Calyx so I can just be on board. Uh, Baron, Talarian Archmage. One blue, blue, legendary creature, human wizard. When Baron, Talarian Archmage enters the battlefield, return up to one target, cre- other creature or Planeswalker to its owner's hand. At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. This guy is really sweet. So excited. Uh, yeah. I think he he does the thing I'm starting to dislike, which is like, here is a strategy. Draw a card if you do it. Yes. Yes, Wizards has, the last year, Wizards has printed a lot of, like, draw a card for doing absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> you know, like, most most exemplified by um, Chulain, a teller of tales, who's just like, hey, draw cards when you just play the game of Magic. Draw extra cards for playing Magic. And play extra lands. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and play extra lands, yeah. Um, and, and Baron, so, like, Nuts. and Baron does have the, like, like, there, there are ways to go infinite with him, right? Isn't there, like, an artifact creature that does this bounce effect that if you make cheap enough, you just go infinite? Well, uh, it only triggers once, and it only draws you one card no matter how many permanents were put into your hand. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay. That's a little so bit Baron, dangerous. Yeah, so the thing I like about Baron is, one, I'm a huge fan of the old Magic storyline. I'm, I'm so glad that Baron got a good card finally because his old card was bad. 
Um, so Baron, he's a bit like the part of Three Fairy that is not so obnoxious, uh, the getting to bounce and draw cards. And we were talking about earlier Niambi, and Baron and Niambi just work together to draw you cards and gain you life kind of indefinitely. Um, and it's really difficult for you to for your opponent to remove either of them. Um, and Baron is a legendary creature, so you can play multiple Barons and pitch them to Niambi. I also, one thing we didn't talk about with Niambi that I like is you can play four Niambis in your Niambi deck because every additional Niambi you draw is just a two cards. Is a three mana draw, draw, is a, is a, uh, uh... is an instant divination, um, which is pretty sweet. And so Baron and her, like, they go, they're two great tastes that taste great together. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I disagree uh, on your Teferi statement, going back a little bit, that it's the not egregious part, because I'm thinking of the times that this effect has been good, which I think this is maybe one of those times, right? A, the the mana war effect. And every single time that effect has been good, it's been it's been too good or like kind of insane, right? Like you have and it's like always, Reflector Mage. Yeah, you have Reflector Mage. You have you have Three Fairy. You have Jace, uh, the Mind Sculptor. You have now Baron, and you have Mana War. Right back in the day, Mana War was like the best creature in Magic. <laughs> um, and so I'm interested to see how powerful Baron is moving into Standard, even into Modern. If you're able to take advantage of the second half of its ability, but like just on the front, there's a lot of really powerful stuff here. I'm really excited about Baron for potentially showing up in ninjas. Oh, sweet. Because that's because that's a way you can return permanence to your hand, and Baron just feels also like a good guy to secretly be a ninja when he attacks. So as a big fan of modern ninjas, I'm definitely going to be uh, playing around with the potential of a Baron or two in my ninja deck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... So I believe, so this is the last card until I look at like the big dump that uh, hundreds of cards are in, but this is the, the last, I believe, uh, important card from my perspective. And oh, no, yeah. there's, there's two more. Oh, no, we're good. Okay, so the next Unle card. Unless you, unless you wanted to talk about Unleash Fury, yeah, but that's, that's... we've had effects like Unleash Fury before that don't do anything. No, people are pretty excited about this. And we haven't had that many. I mean, like Berserk is like an all-star, right? Like that's a card that... I guess because we've had play. Double Cleave and stuff that haven't done anything, and that's basically Double Cleave. But yeah, we can talk about Unleash uh, Fury. So, sure. so Unleash Fury is one red instant double the power of target creature until end of turn. Um, I'm looking if there is that many of those effects. I don't think there are. Double double Cleave is the card you mentioned? So yeah, there's like Double Cleave and Psychotic Fury, which both give double strike, mm -hmm. which you could argue is is not strictly better than doubling a creature's power, but it's it sometimes is better. Um, it's definitely comparable to. Sure, and the fact that it's one in a red versus... Like a, uh, is one this, in a Boros. Is this better than Assault Strobe? And the fact that it's an instant speed one does make it so. It is, I think. Yeah, but Assault Strobe, I don't think ever saw any real play. And Assault Strobe, if you want, if you're in the market for that effect, you'd rather pay one mana for it than two. Sure. Um, now. So. Yeah. Now this on a double striking creature. <laughs> Yeah, not not bad, not bad. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think I think it it also I think people are maybe looking at it with uh, 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 Embercleave, like this and Embercleave together do insane things. Yes, 
Um, yes. And then this completes That's... additional Ember Cleave, so it does that kind of that that game. Yep. Um, yep. I, I'm I'm interested for it for other formats, and and I think it probably will play something in standard, but I don't know if it's uh if it's relevant for modern. Sure. Uh, and the next card is, and this was our preview card, Ghostly Pilferer, one in a blue. Spirit Rogue, 2-1. When Ghostly Pilferer becomes untapped, you may pay two. If you do, draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. Discard a card. It becomes unblockable. Uh, we had, this was our preview card. We did a whole 15-minute hot take on it. This card is the, the sickest. This would be my favorite card if a card that didn't say end of turn didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this is like one of the reasons why Shacklegeist is less impressive to me. Because if I'm playing a two-drop spirit, I want something like this. Somebody who's like discouraging my opponent from flashing back or cascading spells. Uh, who's also able to always get in there and can also draw me cards. Like That's a lot more exciting, I think, than tapping two of my guys to tap right. one of your guys and i think i think we were talking like at the time we talked about companions right that was like one thing that was like this is obviously a plant to fight it but it ends up it, it's actually a fight against every single major mechanic from this year like it's really good against adventure cards it's really good against escape cards and it's really good against uh companions right so like all three of those and all of or them it have, was yes it yeah, was it's no longer good. well it's good against loros right um True, it is good against Loros. Uh, and 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 then you know going into and Emery and stuff like that. Yeah, and Emery and um, there's like a ton of cards that are just like very good. Even Urza, right? Like it hits their their ultimate ability. Right, because Urza exiles the card and then casts it from exile. Yeah. So so like it does hit a lot of random stuff, and even some of the new stuff in this set, it's good against. Like it's just a good hate bear for every format. Added to the fact that it's an aggressive threat that's a card draw engine that does all the other things that we kind of talked about i i like still really love this card i think it's really good um yeah any you any, yeah. any other thoughts nope i'm i'm still real interested in it and um i was doing a brew around it uh for pioneer um because i wanted to play with it at and trying to use the discard part of it with madness and uh so I always go for the smallest card pool possible when brewing decks <laughs> if uh, all the cards you could possibly play are in it. And so um, playing with a lot of the Madness cards out of um, Shadows over Innistrad. So you got the Madness Unsummon and the Madness uh, Serum Visions, or not Serum Visions, Sleight of Hand that are both in uh, Ghostly Pilfer's colors. And also you'd probably play like a Blue-Red and uh, play a Fiery Temper or whatever. Okay. Uh, that sounds sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I like I like some ghostly pilfer. I think it's sweet. Uh, I'm looking through the big dump of la like the last day cards, and I'm seeing if there's anything in here that is specifically worth looking at. Oh, I found your dwarf soldier. The one oh, the one yep. thing is interesting though. That that is a power and toughness that has never existed for its cost. A one three for one. Yeah, I believe yeah. that is new. So that's cool. With no with no like uh, with not defender or something, you know. Right. I think there's maybe one card worth talking about in this dump, and that's Goblin Wizardry. Go for it. Um, so Goblin Wizardry costs three and a red for an instant. Create two 1-1 one, one red Goblin Wizard creature tokens. They have prowess. So I don't think this is necessarily super playable. However, it is four mana that makes two guys 
And then those two guys both have prowess. So when you cast spells, that two power becomes four power um, and keeps multiplying. Huh. And uh, so it's sort of interesting in a spell slinger prowess deck, like we have prowess decks and having a prowess card that makes prowess dudes and triggers your other prowess dudes seems worth taking a look at. And it's an instant, so it's the best kind of prowess enabler. Wait, wait, um, it's a, oh, it's an instant? I thought it was a sorcery. Nope, it's an instant. Oh, I'm more So four board mana. Now. Okay, okay. Four mana, instant, make two 1-1 one, one prowess guys, and they are goblin wizards, so they have two relevant creature types. Interesting thing from the FAQ, the, the creature type is also the name of the token, so the tokens will also be named goblin wizard, which is also the name of a creature from the dark, so, if oh, for some reason your opponent played Ruined Halo, naming Goblin Wizard, it's protected from these tokens and from that creature from the dark. Really? Is it actually double up? Yeah, because the, the creature is called Goblin Wizard. I thought tokens were weird and don't have names. No, tokens have the, name, the names of their creature type if they haven't been given a name. Take a goblin from your hand and put it directly into play. Treat this goblin as if it was just summoned. Target goblin gains protection from white until in a turn. That's not even a terrible oh, yeah. card. Oh, it's not a terrible card. I own a goblin wizard. and Yeah, I own a goblin wizard. And my my second commander deck I ever made was a wart, bogart, anti, just goblins deck. And yeah, so goblin wizard just taps to put a goblin from your hand into play, which is pretty sweet. And protects all your guys from swords to plowshares. So he's not the worst. Okay. He's all a four right. mana one one. But, sure. uh, but yeah, so Goblin oh Goblin Wizardry, I don't know if they're necessarily super playable, but this is a pretty cool, close to playable effect if it's not for a prowess. Yeah, it's a deck almost prowess. there. And I think it could be there for more recent formats, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be standard, but I do think it misses it just a bit. Yeah. Um... We've definitely never gotten something like this before, so it's right. a cool thing that makes a, an instant that makes prowess creature tokens is a new thing, and uh, and the art's funny. Like, oh yeah, it's like a goblin Flash goblin weird. using a using his wand to light one of his farts on fire. Like, this is the you know this is the principle of humor here. <laughs> um. All right, so that that's it. That's the last card. We're ending on wand lighting farts on fire. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening uh, and doing you know the normal set review thing. Uh, back to our normal random subject matter starting next week. Uh, we'll um, also make sure to follow, subscribe, like, bell, all those things. Thank you so much, and check out our patron. Uh, I am at Kess Wiley on everything. Marshall is. I'm at Marsh Unfocused. Um, and uh, make sure to, yeah, check out the other videos. We had a bunch of cool stuff come out this week. We had a video, our hot take was about, last week was about uh, Garrick and uh, Vivian and like how Vivian has taken up a lot of the design space Garrick used to be responsible for. So we kind of talk about what we think about that. Uh, we had a deck tech on Nahiri, a Nahiri commander deck come out. Um, and you know we did some uh, uh, video streaming onto the YouTube channel with the early preview, so that was a cool thing that's up still, so you can check that out. Um, and yeah, all the good stuff. And, and thank you so much, Marshall, for jumping on. Happy to do it. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace out.
This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.